You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Today we have a great program lined up for you, uh, and we'll be talking about the life and miracles of St. Marianne Cope, also known as St. Marian of Molokai. Uh, she's well-known for her work for many years of caring for lepers on the Hawaiian Islands, and she was recently canonized in 2012. On today's program, we'll hear about her life uh, from two members of the order that she belonged to, the Sisters of St. Francis of Syracuse in New York. And later in the program, we'll hear from someone who had an incredible miracle experience attributed to St. Marianne. So, very excited for today's show. And, of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, March 11th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, today in Miracle News, uh, I bet you all could have guessed what today's item is, and of course that's Archbishop Fulton Sheen, uh, everybody's favorite media bishop, uh, had a miracle that passed the major Vatican test, Uh, so he is on the road to beatification. Now, the Vatican's medical team unanimously approved the healing of a stillborn baby, uh, saying it was inexplicable by science, and that is a major step towards the beatification of the beloved American Archbishop. Um, now, he was a, uh, he's, of course, a televangelist, and he's well-known for his Emmy Award-winning television program, um, but it took a major step uh, to put him closer to beatification and sainthood. Uh, the team of Vatican experts verified that science couldn't explain the reviving and complete healing of a stillborn baby. It's credited to his intercession. Uh, News that the seven-member board of medical advisors had unanimously approved the miracle to the congregation uh, first first hit the Diocese of Peoria in Illinois on early Thursday morning, uh, March 6th. Very exciting news. Uh, The approval of this alleged miracle means that Archbishop Sheen has cleared the very first hurdle towards beatification, but he still has more steps to go. The next step would involve the Vatican's Board of Theologians, who will look over in great detail whether the miracle of God can be attributed to the intercession Archbishop Sheen alone and to no other person. That's a really important point. We often pray to many saints in our time of need, but in order for a miracle to be validated, it has to be proven that the person was praying only to the intercession of that saint. Now, after the Vatican looks at that miracle, 
Uh, it will undergo further review by a panel of cardinals, and then finally it will move along to the Pope. With all these levels of analysis, it's amazing that anybody ever gets canonized. It's really a special thing when these miracles have cleared all these hurdles. Um, so the miracle is under study at the present time, and we don't know when a final decision will be taken, uh, but theologians will primarily be looking at whether we can definitely attribute this miraculous healing to the intercession of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And very exciting, next week I'll be interviewing Monsignor Stanley Deptula, who is the executive director of the Archbishop Fulton Sheen Foundation, which is handling Venerable Fulton Sheen's cause. So we will talk to the person who knows the most about the status of the beatification cause next week, so be sure to tune in. Next we'll be turning to the mailbag, or the email inbox, as it were, and we had a question uh, this past week that's one that we've gotten quite a bit, and it goes like this. Dear Miracle Hunter, is the ongoing apparitions called Holy Love in Ohio approved? What is the status of this apparition? Glory forever. Thank you, Katie. Like I said, this is a question I get quite often, and it relates to the visions claimed by Maureen Sweeney Kyle. And there are people I've met who travel from Chicago to the Elyria, Ohio uh, shrine there called Holy Love Ministries, and they swear by its good fruits. There are many reports of alleged miracles coming from the Holy Love Shrine there. However, the local bishop in 2009 declared the apparitions are not supernatural, and he actually took away the Catholic designation from the ministry. So, the tricky part is, is that even though the bishop, who is the competent ecclesiastical authority in this matter, and the final say on whether something is supernatural or not, has given it a negative judgment, the ministry continues to operate, and it has taken away its Catholic title. It sort of said, well, we're not Catholic anymore, we're ecumenical, so we don't have to listen to the bishop. So, Unfortunately, um, it now says it's not under the bishop's authority and continues to operate. Now remember, obedience to uh, the Church authority is very important in these matters. Uh, Pope Benedict, in the year 2010, he was talking about Hildegard von Bingen, who's a mystic and doctor of the Church, and he said, quote, As always happens in the life of true mystics, Hildegard, too, wanted to put herself under the authority of wise people, to discern the origin of her visions, fearing that they were the product of illusions it did not come from God. This is the seal of an authentic experience of the Holy Spirit, the source of every charism. The person endowed with supernatural gifts never boasts of them, never flaunts them, and above all shows complete obedience to the ecclesial authority. End quote. So there you have it from Pope Benedict, um, who basically spells it out that obedience is a key element when they're looking at uh, these investigations. So, unfortunately, Katie, um, thank you for your email about questioning whether it is approved or not. It is not approved, and unfortunately the people at that shrine are going in direct defiance of the local bishop there, so uh, I would not encourage visiting that shrine. But to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, uh, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including 
reports of the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So, sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. It's now time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week, I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize to a caller that gets the right answer. This week, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork titled The Faces of Mary. Now, this is the same image that we've been giving away each week, and you can see it on the Miracle Hunter homepage. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child when you step back to look at it. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia. It's an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host trivia night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. Now, we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program. And today we'll be talking about St. Marianne Cope, uh, who is one of the most recent saints canonized and most recent American saints. So our question is, who was the very first United States citizen to be canonized a saint? That question again is, who was the first United States citizen to be canonized a saint? For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. Now next we'll be turning to our weekly segment called 365 Days with Mary. We've been doing this segment each week, and um, I've been tracing now for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world there's a Marian title, a feast, or other commemoration of an apparition, miraculous event, or other, uh, other aspect of the Virgin that's being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her unceasingly throughout the year. Now, I've compiled all the dates with their feasts and collected them into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. If you go to the website, you'll see that each entry features images, a description, and history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information, in case you would like to go to see these places. This project's available in, in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar or daily planner, but it's also available online at 365dayswithmary.com. For those Facebook users out there, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you'll automatically receive information about each feast day every day, and you'll learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook, and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, the commemoration for today, on Tuesday, March 11th, is Madonna Miraculosa, which is the Miraculous Madonna of Taggia, Imperia Liguria, Italy. The story goes like this. Uh, there was a statue of the Miraculous Madonna of Taggia. It was originally called the Sacred or Immaculate Heart of Mary statue. 
And it depicts the Virgin with her heart uh, being held in her hand. She's wearing a red robe, and she's got a blue mantle trimmed in gold. And this was a gift from a sculptor, Salvatore de Ravelli, to this city in 1851. The statue is made up of a material called scagulolia, and this is very similar to gesso, which is used in many paintings. The eyes of the statue are made of enameled crystal. They have blue with uh, transparent corneas. Now, this is one of these stories of a miracle of the eyes. Uh, the first movement of the eyes of the statue occurred on March 11, 1855, near the end of a week of prayer for the proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Now, the miracle continued for some days, and it was witnessed by many men, women, children, and even priests came to see it, and they saw this uh, miracle of the eyes moving. Uh, the pastor there, his name is Don Stefano Samaria, he informed the bishop, who then went to Tagia and began an actual canonical proceeding where he gathered some 120 testimonials of people who had witnessed the movement of the eyes. On June 1st, 1856, the statue of the Miraculous Madonna was solemnly crowned, and a decree promulgated the recognition of the miracles. The coronation anniversary is celebrated the first Sunday in June, and the city of Tajia celebrates the patronal feast of the Miraculous Madonna annually on March 11th. So that was today's feast, the Miraculous Madonna of Tajia. So be sure to visit 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online, 365dayswithmary.com, to find out more about this devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. Now this is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. Uh, we're very excited today to talk about uh, St. Marianne Cope. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. And before we start the interview, we've got a caller, uh, Amanda, who has the answer to the trivia question. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Hello. I, I think I have the answer. <laughs> Great. Where are you calling from today, Amanda? From around Lake Charles, Louisiana. Wonderful. Thanks for calling in today and for listening to the show. So uh, for those people just tuning in, I'll repeat the question. Uh, the question today was, who was the first American uh, U.S. citizen to be canonized a saint? And what is your answer? Oh, well, I said uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton. Unfortunately, that's not the correct answer. Uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton was the first American to be canonized a saint, and she founded the Sisters of Charity, which was the first religious society in America, but she was not the first U.S. citizen. You, okay, so, I understood the question wrong. <laughs> oh, so sorry. Well, thank you. Uh, you were very close. It's kind of a trick question in some ways, but uh, thank you so much for calling in, and uh, thank you for listening to the show. Um, and now we'll start our interview about uh, St. Marianne Cope. Uh, Marianne Cope uh, was known as Marianne of Molokai. Uh, she was a German-born American who was a member of the Sisters of St. Francis of Syracuse in New York. She is known for her charitable works and her virtuous deeds. Most, she is most well-known for spending so many years caring for lepers on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. In the year 2005, she was beatified and then declared a saint by 
Pope Benedict XVI on October 21st, 2012, along with uh, Kateri Tekakwitha, the Native American. Uh, this makes her only the 11th American citizen to be honored by the Catholic Church as a saint. Uh, so we welcome to the show, uh, today we have on the program, Sister Grace Ann Dylan Schneider and Sister Rose Ann Renna. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. You're quite welcome. So we're very excited uh, to hear more today about St. Marianne Cope. Uh, many people do not know about her, so we'd love to hear a little bit more about the story and about the early life of St. Marianne. Well, as you explained, uh, Mother Marianne, or St. Marianne Cope, was uh, born in Germany and immigrated here to the United States, settling in Utica, New York, with her family when she was just eight, 18 months old. And she grew up in Utica, as many ordinary children did. She went to as far as eighth grade in her parish church, in her parish school. And after eighth grade, went to work in the mills in Utica to help support her family because her father was quite ill. When she was 24, she entered the Sisters of St. Francis, and her life had really two facets, one here in Syracuse, New York, and then when she went to the Sandwich Islands, as they were called then, uh, Hawaii, to care for those who were afflicted with Hansen's disease, as we know it now, or leprosy, as they called it then. Her life here in Syracuse and Utica and the uh, area around here was remarkable also for all that she was able to do as a woman of her time, a woman who had deep and abiding faith in God and who lived that faith well. She had a deep respect for all people, and she helped as one of the people in leadership to found two hospitals here in the area, one in Utica, St. Elizabeth's Hospital, and one here in Syracuse, St. Joseph's Hospital, both of which are functioning today. Uh, Sister Roseanne is going to speak a little bit more about uh, particularly St. Joseph's Hospital, where she did much of her work in the, these early years. I uh, have worked at St. Joseph's uh, over 30 years and have spent a lot of that time uh, talking about and learning about Mother Mary Ann. Um, wonderful. To me, the wonderful thing, so many wonderful things about this lady, and while you called her the, you know, the saint of Molokai, I always say my job in life is to have her also thought of as the saint of, as the saint of central New York. <laughs> sure. What Mother Marianne did for health care in central New York was unparalleled. And I think we have to remember here was a woman in the 1800s taking on an incredibly important leadership role not only uh, being a primary mover in the establishment of two of the first 50 hospitals in the United States, St. Elizabeth's and St. Joseph's here in Syracuse, but also uh, the first hospitals in central New York. Uh, healthcare was so sketchy at that time. There were few physicians and healthcare was primarily if you could afford to have a physician come to your house. So in establishing, I'm thinking primarily right now at St. Joseph Hospital where I work, Mother Marianne opened the doors to everyone 
And it's amazing to think that people were considered the outcasts at the time, mm. the homeless, the uh, the alcoholic. And I love telling this one, the un- unwed mothers were not welcome in most hospitals. And this, this mm. wonderful woman, I, I often think she looked at the lepers in Syracuse and in Utica, the people who were undesirable. And eventually, actually went to um, went to Hawaii to care for the actual lepers. But I think that was always her theme for the mm. case. Not only did she uh, establish the hospitals, but she got together with some other important people and went to Geneva, New York, and convinced the people who ran the medical school there to move the uh, medical school to Syracuse, New York. So now they uh, actually located at Syracuse University for a number of years. That uh, medical school has been in existence since about 1871. Huh? Now we had all these medical students. This wasn't just a compassionate, wonderful lady. This was a very smart lady mm-hmm. who used her her wonderful gifts to... Um, to do so much good for the people of Syracuse. So now we have medical students. And one of my favorite letters that she wrote to the registrar of the medical school spoke of the reverence with which we should treat everyone. And she actually said in the letter, if any patient, as she said, it does not want to be brought before a medical student, we will honor that patient's request. So here she's saying the people who are the poorest of the poor have a right to decide who's going to care for them. And I think yeah. that letter, those words, uh, say so much about this lady. So uh, actually, Mother Marianne became the, uh, they called them superintendents at the time, the superintendent of the hospital. She was very, very bright. They they said at the time she could have been called a pharmacist. She got to know so much about drugs. Wow. And the other thing uh, was her insistence on good sanitation. Mm. Just before those wonderful microscopes told us <laughs> about all these germs, she knew intuitively that hospitals have to be clean. And Sister Grace might get into a little bit more of what how that translated when she went to Hawaii, and what a good thing that was. So I think I'm going to ask Sister Grace to come back with her trip to Hawaii. Great. Uh, St. Marianne, or Mother Marianne, as uh, we familiarly call her, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, her talents were recognized by our religious community, and she became the leader of our religious community. And as that leader, she did receive a letter from... Uh, the Sandwich Islands, as they were known then, uh, uh, through the, one of the priests uh, at the request of the bishop for what they termed Sisters of Charity to come and care for their poor, suffering people. Mm-hmm. At first, Father Fusnell, who was the priest who was trying to get sisters to come, uh, did not say what, that, what they were suffering from. Hawaii was a monarchy then. And Queen Lilio Kalani had asked um, Father 
Busnell and the bishop to please try to get Sisters of Charity to come and care for the people Hmm. who were suffering from what they knew then as leprosy. She received that letter, and she felt what she called an irresistible desire to follow that call. And to so it was her own desire to follow that call. It wasn't that she was told to go. She no. actually felt it on her heart to go. It was her own desire, that irresistible call to follow uh, that uh, request to go to Hawaii. She brought it to our sisters. Now, we were a young community then. And she brought it to our sisters, and 35 of our sisters volunteered to go. Uh, Mother Marianne recognized her responsibilities here also. And so originally she had decided that she would take five sisters there, get them settled, and then she would return. And there is the story that as she went, uh, as those sisters set out, she said to her the sisters, I will return. She got as far as Buffalo on the train and realized that she had the wrong purse mm. and had to go back and get the pocketbook that had her the tickets for herself and the sisters in it. Oh. So she took the train back to Syracuse, uh, and that really was the last time she returned to Syracuse uh, until after uh, her death when we brought her back uh, before her canonization. Mm. So she fulfilled her promise to the sisters in a way that no one really uh, could have imagined. But she and the sisters went on to Hawaii, and she really felt, again, that irresistible call to stay and do what she could to help the poor people suffering from leprosy or Hansen's disease. Leprosy at that time, you have to kind of look at history, because leprosy at that time was an unknown disease. It was with us since the days in the Bible, mm-hmm. but they did not know where it came from, how people got it, how uh, it could be passed from one to another, and most importantly, that there was no cure. So people were very much afraid of this disease. People whose family had a person with leprosy in it were ostracized. And ohana, or family, was very important to the people of Hawaii, as it was to many, as it is to many of us right now. So it was a tragic time in Hawaii, and Mother Marianne's heart went out to the people there. And she and the sisters first worked in a hospital in Kaka'aka, which is near Honolulu, uh, and was in terrible condition because they could not get people to care for those who had leprosy. Mm. People were afraid, as you can well imagine, when there was such a horrible disease and one that they did not know much about and could not cure. So Mother Marianne and the sisters first went in and cleaned everything up. There was a room in that uh, hospital called the death room. Mm -hmm. Because they had so few people to care for those who were sick, the people uh, who were dying were left in that room to die. Mm -hmm. Marianne and the sisters did away with that, again, out of her deep sense of respect for all people. They washed the people. 
who had that, this disease. They bound up their uh, wounds, that, uh, the ulcers that they had, and they cared for them respectfully until they died. Now, there's another saint in Hawaii, St. Damien. Yes, yes. I, I was kind of curious. What's the, what was the relationship? Did they work together? Or how well did they know each other in Hawaii? Eventually, they did work not together. They uh, Mother Mary in with the uh, girls and women and Damien with the boys and men. Mm. In Kalapapa, only nine months together. But when St. Damien already had leprosy, he came to Honolulu for some reason, and no one would give him a place to stay because mm. he had that disease. Mother Marian and the sisters welcomed him, gave him a place, to a room to sleep in, and took care of him when he was here. And Mother Marianne and St. Damien kept up a friendship, um, not of presence to one another, but they kept in touch with one another through um, notes that Mother Marianne would write. When a child, and children as young that I know of, young as four years old, were isolated to that peninsula in Kalapapa, and when a child who was frightened was going to be sent to Kalapapa, Mother Marianne would write a note to St. Damien, to Father Damien then, asking that he take particularly, particular care of this young person because they are so frightened and have no one with them. And mm. he respected that and did that. So there was that mutual friendship that developed. Mother Marianne also was with Damien and cared for him at his death and uh, prepared his body for burial. So there was a relationship, uh, you know, between them. It was not, I don't even know how to quite describe it. It was not one that was, you know, really that close, but it was based on their deep respect for one another and the fact that they both had such a passion for caring for the uh, poor, sick people of Hawaii. They shared that passion, and that was a bond, that and their deep love of uh, our Lord. So there was a relationship with them, uh, between them. Uh, but again, there was that separation uh, between those who had leprosy and those who did not. Now, Mother Marianne went to Kalapap after five years in Hawaii, and they, could, they couldn't go earlier because of the Department of Health. They had to be sent there by the Department of Health. Mm, okay. The Department of Health gave permission for the sisters to go to Kalapapa, and the sisters and Mother Marianne. Mother Marianne was very much um, a person who believed that you did not do anything by yourself. She always gave credit to all the sisters who worked with her and the people who worked with her because she believed it was only through everyone doing this together that so much could be accomplished. And uh, St. Marianne and the sisters went to Kalapapa, and they provided a safe uh, place and, a, and care for the women and children who had been banished to that island. When someone was found to have leprosy, uh, and the Department of Health said that they had this disease. They were shipped to Kalapapa, to this peninsula, which was surrounded by rocky waters and a sheer cliff. 
and they were sent there for, for the rest of their lives. Anyone who came with them uh, to care for them or to help them remained there for the rest of their lives also. Wow. Sounds cruel, but again, you have to think historically about how people did not know uh, how leprosy could be contained and how, how it was spread. Grace, uh, weren't there also people sometimes who were misdiagnosed? Yes, there were people, you know, people misdiagnosed. Could, who could have a skin condition. Sure. And because of the fear, they were sent to Kalapapa. Yeah. But it was that when Mother Mary Ann went there, St. Damien had done an awful lot to clean things up. Mm-hmm. A very lawless place when St. Damien went there. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable because the attitude of many of the men there, you know, here we are on this peninsula for the rest of our lives. What else can people do to us? How else mm-hmm. can they punish us? There's nothing worse than what we have here. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So Damien was the one that was the first to begin to really um, bring out in people the respect that they needed to have, even in these terrible conditions. And Mother Mary Ann, when she went, did the same thing with the women and girls. Excuse me. She was their protector. Uh, she made sure that they had. Dignity. Uh, Mother Marianne and the sisters uh, wanted to be sure that the girls and women always looked well. So they uh, looked at patterns of dresses in the day, and they made pretty clothes for the women and girls and taught them how to sew. I've heard that story before, and I always was struck by... uh what care they took in affirming the dignity of, of, of the sick and, and making sure that they had the finest things, even, even though they were sick. That, that's uh, it's beautiful. And Mother Marian also cared for the earth. She planted flowers. And you know, we always think of Hawaii as being so lush. But the, island, the peninsula of Kalapapa, because of the number of people there, had become somewhat barren. So Mother Marian and the sisters planted flowers. They planted all kinds of fruit trees. Uh, so that the place where they were, the women and girls were, was beautiful also. So there was, you know, they really tried to uh, make it a place that was livable, and not just livable, but as much as possible where the girls and women could be happy and could feel at peace, always being deeply respected. They taught them their, their faith but they were able to keep their own faith. There was, we were not the only religion on the islands. The Mormons were there. Mm. Each, was, each person kept their own faith. Uh, and our sisters taught uh, religion, our religious faith to the uh, women and girls also. Sure. Mother Mary Ann lived there until she died in 1918. Now, I've, I've read that she didn't contract leprosy like Father Damien did when she was there. Is that true? That's the first, I believe that's the first miracle. Mm-hmm. As Mother Ma- there was a sister there who was quite fearful of the disease, and Mother Marian said to her and to all the sisters that they would never contract this disease of leprosy. Mm. Uh, as long as they did what she asked, they would never contract this disease. And we were, we are, we still have three sisters living uh, in that, uh, on that peninsula in Kalapapa, even though the disease is cured. 
the uh, people who wanted to stay there after they were able to go back to the other islands. Uh, and a couple of our sisters have remained there until t- this time. Amazing. Yes. <clears throat> it's been a, it's a truly beautiful and remarkable story of faith on the part of Mother Mary and sisters, of devotion, devotion to our God, but also devotion and love for the people they cared for. Uh, it's uh, a story that for a long time people knew St. Damien, did not know St. Mary and Cope, and we're so pleased that we are able to share about her now. Yes, I think that's beautiful, and you know, I, I, can, I can hear just even in the way that you describe uh uh, describe her, the, the love that you have for her and the inspiration that she's given to you there. And uh, before we switch to the second half of our interview today, just tell us a, a brief bit about your community uh, there in Syracuse. Uh, the Sisters of St. Francis um, is composed now of four different, well, four uh, regional areas, but one general community. Our sisters here have been teachers and nurses. Um, they've cared for the poor. We have a uh, free clinic down the uh, road from us here and a food pantry. We will help in a food pantry. It's the uh, friars who uh, are responsible totally for it. But we have um, a lawyer, a free lawyer for people who need assistance uh, with things that a lawyer can help them with. Um, and we still have St. Elizabeth's Hospital and St. Joseph's Hospital. As Sister Roseanne mentioned, she lives, uh, she doesn't live there. She has worked at St. Joseph's Hospital for many years. Our sisters have always tried to do what is necessary for people. Uh, we t- we've been in schools. Uh, we've had a nursing home. Whatever the need is at the time is what we have tried to uh, work towards. We've had a place for older, a daycare center for older people. We have a daycare for and preschool for children. Uh, What else? Well, our sisters were very involved in the beginning of Covenant House. You might have heard of Covenant House, which began in New York for troubled teens, people who had nowhere else to go, and I think now is worldwide. Our sisters were involved many years with Father Bruce Ritter in uh, establishing Covenant House. But I think we're much more widespread now in terms of our ministries because there are so many other needs. We do have here in Syracuse a home for the dying. Uh, There are... um, there's a HUD housing project in Pittsburgh that our sisters are part of. Um, you know, we have gone to where the need is and tried to follow the example of all of our sisters who have come before us who have responded to that need in the best way that they can. And I think that is what we as Sisters of St. Francis uh, have tried to do. We began in 1855 in Philadelphia, and we are now, what, about 400? About 400, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for uh, telling us about your community and especially uh, for shedding some light on the life 
of uh, St. Mary Ann Cope. Uh, we all learned so much today, and like you say, many people know about the story of St. Damien, but uh, the way you, uh, you told us the stories today, that was just beautiful. So thank you very much, uh, Sister Grace Ann Dillenschneider and Sister Roseanne Renna from the Sisters of St. Francis of Syracuse in New York. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And for those of us just joining the program, you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We've been talking with Sister Grace Ann Dillenschneider and Sister Roseanne Renna from the Sisters of St. Francis of Syracuse. And next we're joined uh, by someone who had a miracle uh, attributed to uh, Sister St. Marianne Cope. And uh, her name is Kate Mahoney. Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And um, I know everyone is just very interested to hear a little bit about your background and your life and and how you first came to know uh, Sister Marianne and and why you called upon her in your time of need. Okay. um, I'll start with the background. I... um was born in Virginia, but my parents have strong ties to central New York and were both born and raised in this area. Um, I'm from a Catholic family, and my knowledge base of Mother Marianne was really nothing. I, I kind of, I guess I can say it in a short way, I came late to the party. And <laughs> what I mean by that is we were home in Syracuse, New York, for a summer vacation, and it was August, and it was very warm, but I was freezing and sick to my stomach. Ultimately, uh, I went to my grandparents' doctor and was diagnosed with germ cell ovarian cancer, and that was in 1992. So I was 14, and that was a rare diagnosis for someone my age at that time. As you and probably many of your listeners know, medicine is always evolving. But at that sure. time, there wasn't a standard protocol for my treatment. And ultimately, the cancer was removed by surgery. I followed an aggressive treatment protocol with chemotherapy that did, um, you know, again, many patients know that the cure is sometimes worse than the actual cancer. And mm. the body was really ravaged by many of the chemotherapy drugs, and just the fact that I was young and vulnerable and had really been been beaten down by um, all of this treatment. So I went into multi-system organ failure. Mm. I'll just walk you through that very briefly. Uh, There was a blockage to my portal vein, so my liver was failing and my kidneys were failing, which meant that I had ascites or fluid buildup on my body. I went from 132 pounds to about 212 Mm. overnight. And the fluid was drained off. I bled internally, went into cardiac arrest for 25 minutes. So I was admitted into intensive care. And at that point, just from the severity of what happened to all the organs I just mentioned, I then had uh, problems. My my lung collapsed. Uh, I had an emergency intubation, a chest tube in my right lung. My skin turned sort of to butter. Ultimately, Mm. the time in intensive care led to muscle atrophy. So Mm -hmm. from head to toe, my body was failing. Mm. And as I mentioned, I'm from a devout Catholic family. Prayers were being said all the time, but... 
my introduction to Mother Marianne even came later. Sister Mary Lawrence Hanley was in charge of the cause for canonization for St. Mary Ann, mm-hmm. and she happened to be the cousin of my father's former boss. Oh, okay. They were all having dinner around Christmas time, and former Congressman Hanley was saying to his cousin, you know, the Mahoney's are really going through a terrible time. They don't mm-hmm. think it's going to make it. And Sister Mary Lawrence said, do you think they would be open to praying to Mother Mary Ann? My mom went to convent school here in Syracuse, and my grandmother had been on the auxiliary uh, for St. Joe's Hospital. So they were familiar with who Mother Marianne was and knew some of her history. My father went also to a Catholic high school here in town, so Mm -hmm. he had some knowledge. And at that point, it wasn't so much that there weren't prayers leading up to this. It was that... When, you, when they felt that all hope was gone, why would they not channel prayers specifically to this amazing woman who sure. really, on all accounts, personifies devotion to God and medical administrative expertise? Yeah. So Sister Mary Lawrence came to the hospital with a relic, and it's very important that everyone listening understands that it is not about the relic, it's about the prayer. But of course, in times of crisis, we like to hold on to something tangible that connects us to the person we want to reach. Yeah. So that relic was used in prayer. And I'll also mention at this point, just remember 1992, early 1993, there's no internet, there are no cell phones. So the process of communication in my case was that my mom would pick up the phone and call Sister Mary Lawrence and say, we need to pray for Kate's platelets. We need Mm. to pray for Kate's liver. We Mm -hmm. need to pray for Kate's lungs. And systematically, based on whatever function needed the most attention, that was written down by Sister Mary Lawrence, and she would then post that on a piece of paper in the elevator at the convent. And the sisters coming and going would in turn document that in their own notes and take mm. it out into the community. So what started as bedside prayer grew pretty <laughs> rapidly into sure. an international non-denominational prayer chain <laughs> specifically to Mother Marianne to intercede for my recovery. Amazing. And, um, I'm not going to say that anything happened in some, you know, nanosecond time frame, because my body was so sick that mm-hmm. when I say the organs recovered, they recovered to a state that doctors and specialists could step back in with their very capable hands and resume care. So sure. this miracle is not, you know, it's not that I threw off my threw up my crutches and began to walk or was blind right. and then could see. It was that I didn't die and... I still had to recover. I had a long road ahead of me. Uh, My intensive care time was 46 days, but I still did not get out of the hospital until the middle of March in 1993. Wow. No, it's it's an amazing story. Thank you so much for for sharing that. And, um, yeah, I I love how your story of how uh, that your story was relayed to so many people, and it just spread. Uh, spread the prayers were 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 said by so many people to Saint Marianne. That's beautiful, and uh, I I'm sure that Saint Marianne has a very special meaning to you today, uh, given that uh, you've recovered from this illness. And how has she changed your life and your outlook? Um. Oh my gosh, it's paramount. I you know I have no memory 
of that time in intensive care. So when I woke up and people said to me, this is a miracle, you're so blessed, as a teenager, I was so defiant. You know, all I wanted to do was walk and talk and breathe and yeah. eat and, and get my controls back. So right. I have to admit that my ego got in the way of having a relationship with her early on in this story. Sure. But in my early 20s, I um, returned to Syracuse after college and a couple of jobs, and I was working as a home health aide through St. Joe's Hospital. And this picture came up at our orientation, and it was the same picture that I had on my relic. And at first I thought there was, some, you know, somebody was playing a joke on me. Um, but when I went out into the field and when I started working with patients, you know, I never came to the door and identified myself as a miracle. Mm-hmm. I essentially would audition several times a day to convince these people I was meeting for the first time that I could care for them and I could respect them and show them dignity based on their circumstances. And and that's when I really began my relationship with Mother Marianne and the way that she had this irresistible desire as Mr. Grace Ann said, that, that's really how I feel about advocacy today, and that plays a role for me. Um, again, it kind of takes the ego out of the exchange for me when I'm meeting people because my role as miracle when I meet people isn't really about me at all. It's about how I can connect to people in a way that Mother Marianne would have and let them know that it isn't about where they've been or where they're going. It's that we're together right now and we have to honor one another. That's right. Uh, no, that's beautiful. I, I think it, obviously, when you're saying you were younger, it was harder to see that perspective, but clearly uh, later on you really uh, really connected with uh, St. Marianne after that. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and now you uh, you share the story with with people. Is that correct? You um, you people you run into and 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 who want to know about uh, Saint Marianne Cope. You share your story, and this uh, this brings them closer to her. I, I hope so. That's you know that's always the intention to educate, but also to help maybe shift perspective. Not by me telling people what to do, but just by you know, doing it by example. Sister Grace Ann and I started out speaking together, and then Sister Roseanne and I um, have done a couple presentations, and now we do it together, and it's such a phenomenal story. I mean, you know, here we have one hour, and each of us can share a different part of this story, and um, the sum of it is just this remarkable woman who is so ahead of her time. Absolutely, and I, and I do appreciate all three of you uh, joining us on the show today. And sharing the story, again, many people do not know the story of St. Mary Ann Cope, and you've really shed some light on why she's been so important to you personally, but as well as as to all the people that she's cared for in her life and her legacy. So thank you so much, Kate, for joining us today and for sharing your witness. Thank you. This was a treat. All right. God bless you. Uh, For those those people just joining the program, uh, you've been listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. Uh, We were talking with Kate Mahoney, who had an incredible miracle story um, due to the intercession of St. Marianne Cope. For more information on St. Marianne, you can go online, go on to MiracleHunter.com, or download the archive of this show. Uh, While we had the interview going on, uh, we got a call from Thomas from New Iberia, Louisiana, who had the correct answer to today's 
Catholic pub trivia question. That question again was, who was the first United States citizen to be canonized a saint? And that answer is St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Uh, she was the first American citizen to be canonized. Elizabeth Ann Seton was the first American-born saint to be canonized, so that's the distinction there. More information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guests uh, today for joining us on the show. There was Sister Grace Ann Dillenschneider and Sister Rose Ann Renna, along with Kate Mahoney for sharing her story. Next week, I'll be interviewing Monsignor Stanley Deptula, who is the Executive Director of the Archbishop Fulton Sheen Foundation, which is handling Venerable Fulton Sheen's beatification cause. As we talked about earlier in the show, he just had his miracle approved, so uh, it'll be very exciting to hear where the beatification cause is now. On March 29th, I'll be giving a talk at a Totally Yours conference in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. I'll be discussing how Medjugorje is similar to and different from other apparitions throughout history. For more information on attending this conference, please visit MiracleHunter.com or TotallyYours.com. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world by visiting 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on The Miracle Hunter where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.